Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, where your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak, help you go next level with your practice, leveraging the four pillars that make a practice bulletproof. Vision, building a dream team, marketing ninja, and financial freedom. Now, let's get into it. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Today, we are with my good buddy and second time to the Bulletproof Podcast, Garrett Gunderson. Garrett, thanks for coming on the show again. I actually just was able to introduce Craig and Garrett and told them they were very similar. Before I hit record, we were actually talking about how Garrett's jumped into stand-up comedy. I don't know why I just giggled when I said that. Um, and <laughs> Craig was saying how he would love, he would crush it and do the same thing. And I was <laughs> thinking to myself, I was like, these guys are kind of the same. Like, you're both tall. You're both funny. Like, anyway, buddy, welcome back. You have the, uh, the second distinct honor of being the, um, a, repeat, a repeat guest on the show. Um, there's another guy, one of my other buddies named um, Steve Rasner. He was the, uh, the first guy to be back on the show two times. But this is the first time with, uh, with Craig as a co-host. So right, cool. you know, a whole new game. Yeah. Um, Garrett, kind of tell us, tell us what you've been working on, man. Uh, brand new book just came out, five-day weekend. Dude, what's crazy is 40,000 copies in stores. Like, for context, Killing Sacred Cows was 5,000 copies in bookstores. So... The next time you're in an airport, it'll probably hit you in the face. It's everywhere, man. I'm Wait, just- how did that? Ha- how how does that happen? And re- I'm asking for a friend because I know two guys who have a book coming out, and we have no clue on um- them. <laughs> <laughs> two guys. Their, their name is uh, Jeter and Greg. All right. Cool. One's in it. One's so in. So how did you? How did you go from getting it only at five thousand out the uh, one time to now? Now it's everywhere in airports. Uh. Three main factors. Uh, number one, Killing Sacred Cows hit New York Times, so it had good book scan numbers. I think we oh, sold okay. 66,000 copies. The bigger factor, though, number two, is we went with Bard Press. So Ray Bard has only done seven books in the last 13 years. The last book I'm sure you've heard of and seen, The One Thing. So The One Thing sold more than a million copies. Oh, so uh, that's the second factor. Number three, my co-author, Nick Halleck, has been throwing massive amounts of cash into marketing and the bookstores, you buy those, the, that real estate basically. Like is, when he you your co- is he your co-author? Uh, you wrote the book with him? Yeah. Five day weekend was his concept and uh, he wanted to add some pieces to it. And he didn't realize how much I would add. I probably ended up, I wrote a substantial amount of the book when he brought me in, but I he, know the like, feeling. he epitomizes the five day weekend. This dude like lives in a hundred. He's, he's like, got houses in the Hollywood Hills and Miami and Greece. And like, he's living the gangster lifestyle that like I'd only seen by one other person named Peter Bolden, um, but actually doesn't have to work as much as Peter. So I, Wait, well, I, well, actually I do have a five day weekend. Too. I do have a five day weekend. Just, okay, cool. <laughs> no, but like, let's talk about that. So, I mean, literally I was a big fan. I haven't read it obviously cause you haven't sent it to me yet, but. Um, no, it is on the way though. I just I didn't know it would be delayed. Checks in the mail. It's on the way, I promise. <laughs> But, you know, is it kind of like in the same vein as the four-day work week where it really isn't like, hey, you really aren't working a four-hour work week, rather, like a Tim Ferriss? I'm not trying to, to put you in that same silo, but tell me the premise of how this can maybe the five-day can apply to dentists. All right. So, first off, the four-hour uh, work week, uh, the title was written by Tim being a brilliant marketer and testing the most popular title. Yeah. Um, the second thing is it's 
four, four hour work weeks about outsourcing and frugality. Um, those are two things you're not going to hear much about in this book. Okay. Five day weekend instead is about a, how do you keep a lot more of the money you make by getting money back from the government, financial institutions, banks, that kind of stuff. Number two, how do you learn to make more money as an individual? So expand and scale if you're a business owner, or even if you're an employee, how do you start to be a lot more valuable to the organization you're serving so you can get a, a, a piece of the upside? And then number three, how do you grow your money? So those are the three main factors. The fourth piece of the book is how do you invest back in yourself, which for you, Peter, would be pretty rudimentary reading in that last segment. I think for a lot of the population, it might be a bigger epiphany, um, but it's really broken down into those four things. And it's taking this industrial mindset that people have been indoctrinated with and saying, this is crap. Why are you still thinking about assembly line thinking where you work for five days, you take two days off so you don't die, and then you go back to the grind on that Monday. Instead, we're saying two days where you maintain what you have by monitoring and managing it, then five days to create whatever you want. And some of that might be time you spend in adventure. Some of it might be in something more significant within your business and scaling that business or time to think or what those or launching a podcast because you enjoy it. I love it. I think that's such an important, you know, freeing yourself up, you know, creating that bandwidth for just what you're saying. I mean, some of my most, I actually have tried to create a, a whole day a week just for kind of creative thinking. And I know that seems kind of woofoo, but like, you know, when you're actually in the process of, of working, you know, you're laser focused on what you're doing and you just can't create things that are going to move the needle forward. And so you need to create that space. I, I, I'm totally there. Uh, yeah. I mean, that sounds like a dream to me. If you think Peter, uh, as working hard, I got a lot of time commitment, so um, I'm intrigued. I love, I love what you're saying so far. Wait, well, Peter, was that by just? By the way, Craig, Peter's known me for a while. So first off, he knew when I would go live in Park City for the summers, and and that would uh, I think inspire and equally annoy him. And then uh, I don't know if you know this, Peter, but I spent two months in Italy last year. We just yeah, went three months, and then right now I'm booked from for a full month in Europe, going Croatia, Spain, and Italy coming up, which I'm going to do zero work on any of those days, unless I choose to write or I choose to like create in some way. I'm just not doing business meetings while I'm there. That's amazing, dude. Good for you, man. That, that's awesome. And what, what a cool thing to look forward to that. So that's coming up. So obviously you're doing it around your kids' schooling um, and, and taking the summers and, and really maximizing it. Yeah, we're choosing the most expensive time to go to Europe. That's basically yeah. <laughs> how I uh, planned it. <laughs> When everyone else from America is going to Europe, right? I, let's dive in. Let's dive in. Let's unpack some of that thing in the book because, you know, I, as, a, as someone who's been through your program, you know, we talked about this before hit record being back in 2008. I'm still applying, you know, some of the things that you've taught me way back when have still applied to my life. And I feel like they've really helped. And one of the things we talked about was the cash flow analysis that you've helped with. Yeah. And I still use that formulaic formula. I don't know it by heart because I actually have it in my spreadsheet. But when I'm looking at my kind of my net worth spreadsheet that I have just for me privately and looking at my debts and, and my, um, you know, my assets, debts and assets. I look at, I still use that. I actually have that built into my spreadsheet that I put in my debt and it'll say, Hey, pay this one off first. Um, so where I'm going with this is like, you, you just have some real tangible things that help we dentists. Yeah. And um, yeah, I want to hear kind of what, what's, what's new under the cover of, of the five day work week. How about, how about I give you some new in the cover of five-day weekend? Five-day weekend, um, sorry. Since you're, since you're hybriding me and Tim Ferriss together. I am not. I just was wondering. I was giving you a chance to make the, the, the differentiation. No but, no, but seriously, Tim, Tim, I have a question for you, Tim. Um, <laughs> I would love to know. Comedy. 
<laughs> I got to tell you, this is hilarious. Uh, the first time I met Tim Ferriss, we were in China um, in a layover. We're going to Vietnam. And my buddy Joe Polish is filming him and saying, look at this four-hour work week. This dude's working in a layover. We haven't even been on vacation for hours. And they almost got in a fist fight. Um, then Tim and I kind of became uh, somewhat buddies. He stayed at my house a couple of times when he was writing a, a four-hour body. Uh, and, and, dude, like when he was writing that, he's writing about like thermogenesis or something. And he's like, hey, man, can I take a, a bath in your master bathtub? And he made me take him to a gas station, buy some ice so he can have an ice bath because we eat too much pizza. So the dude is, is truly like a product of his product, you know? Um, yeah, I, met, I met him actually with Tony yeah. uh, a couple couple months ago um, over December. He was at uh, Date with Destiny. I met him. Cool yeah. dude. So, so anyway, um, five-day weekend. Let me give you guys some actual things from the book. And let me give you stuff that would apply to dentists that isn't in the book that I think would be more game-changing and mind-blowing. So, uh, which, like... Here's the biggest thing. There's all these tax changes and dentists got screwed in the new tax change because you're service-based professionals. So I've been researching, studying, and figured out how to navigate that in a more impactful way. But let me wait, 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 stop for a second. We, we got screwed in that? Everyone keeps oh, telling time, me we did awesome. No, so no. If you're a service-based business, you don't get the pass-through deduction, which is the uh, 20% deduction. Uh, yeah, we got totally screwed. Like so, architects, okay. lawyers, dentists, we just got totally shafted. Hey, Sorry, man, dude, you guys spent extra to go to school. Let us take you away tax deductions from you. Hey, guys, insurance sucks. Let us take tax deductions away from you. I don't know what the deal is. It's a, it's, it, that was supposed to be this amazing tax plan, and it's not amazing. I don't no, know. Not for Dan, not for service providers. So go on. I'm excited Sorry, to hear you. Man, I'm, I'm sorry I derailed you on that, Garrett. Go ahead, bud. Okay, so uh, <laughs> since I just threw – I just ruined your day, let me make it better, okay? We're going to have to cut this short. I need to go cry in the corner here pretty <laughs> – <laughs> like, I've been feeling really good about this. I've had a great day until this now. <laughs> so, so here's, here's the two major things when it comes to tax, okay? Mm. Everyone knows that you should have an account to get tax deductions. That's true. But the biggest way to save tax is to reclassify your income, which comes from attorneys. And if you don't have an attorney that's either a tax attorney or a corporate attorney that understands tax, as a dentist, I'm seeing people spend way too much on taxes and they're tipping the government. So, Peter, since I ruined your day, I'm gonna make it better here, all right? Because yeah, there's really a third aspect to this, which is every three years, I really recommend you get a different set of eyes on your taxes, whether it's a CPA or a tax attorney, because if you miss anything, you have three years you can go back and amend. Mm. So here's some things that you might wanna go back and amend when it comes to your taxes, okay? Um, if you've done any R&D or domestic production. So any, have you done anything with this? Like if you've ever done stuff with software yeah. or have you ever done anything like uh, with content like you're doing here on the podcast? Yeah, any training, like new training techs yep. and stuff like, yeah, yeah. Um, I have done some of that just, just this past year, actually. I'm glad you're bringing this up. So the new law, that was called section 199. Now it's section 199A. So I don't know, you know, they took that away moving forward. It's now a 20% straight deduction. And then what you could do in the past is go back. If you filed an extension in 2014, you go all the way back to 2014 and you've already written it off on what you paid your employees or the hard costs that you had to develop anything. But what most people don't write off is you can take 9% of what was related to your income from all that research. So let's say you had a million dollars of income from all that. That would be a $90,000 tax deduction. So you get that in addition to writing off 
paying the employees in addition to the money that you paid for the software. I mean, we had an optometrist that got to take the deduction. They didn't even create the glasses. They just assembled the glasses at their location, right? And they got to use this D-pad, domestic production and R&D combined. So that would be one thing that dentists can save a boatload of money on. Let me just jump onto that. That, that was something I was aware of for the, for the listening audience. If you have like a CERAC or your manufacturing crowns in the office, you could apply that. A uh, one ninety nine code as well, or even like training on a you know a cone beam or anything like that. Like, there's a lot of that. that but manufacturing that, specific, like milling teeth, that, oh. that's gone now. But that's something you can go backwards on because that's considered you're actually manufacturing something. You're taking a block of raw material and making a crown. And so, yeah, like speaking of Jim Arnold, uh, you know, he he shared this publicly, so we could share it. I mean, when I met him, he owned a building and he didn't cost segregate it. So if you own your building, you can cost segregate it where you bring in an engineer and that engineer can actually separate out the different items in the business and start writing them off at an accelerated rate. So that saved him like $30,000 a year. So that's a, another thing. Like I could talk about all sorts of investment stuff, but the bottom line is if I could save people tens of thousands of dollars on tax, that's like 10 years of investing because it takes so long to build up enough investment account to kick off cash flow. So um, another, another big item, and like Peter, dude, this is something I think would be really cool for you to look into um, because Atlanta's got some of these places. Uh, but if you found buildings that are in historic areas or that have any historic facade, like you could tell the building I'm in, if you're watching this on video mm-hmm. behind me, this is the, a hardware building from 1902. So it's, a, it's got a historic facade to it. There's something where you can donate, it's called a historic easement. The facade that you'll never change that facade. You'll never tear the building down and rebuild it. You'll keep that facade up. You can donate that and get a four to one tax credit or tax deduction on that value. So that might pay for the actual building. Then you can still rent the building out, office inside of the building, and all that would be gravy on top of that. Because I don't know if you guys have heard much about conservation easements, but that's another kind of thing that's going on. My problem with conservation easements is a lot of people are buying into them. I think that they were really intended when you own a bunch of land that you never want to develop and you give up your development rights. And that could be a somewhere between four to one or seven to one type of tax deduction. So that's great. But if you're getting into a syndicate and it's with people you've never met and you get audited, you have a high yeah. audit risk that it's going to be disallowed. And if it's more than 20% of your tax deductions, that's a 25% penalty. So I'd rather look at like a historic easement as another opportunity. Um, Is other- that the whole building you can like, so if you bought a building for a million bucks, you can take that historic four to one ratio. It wouldn't be on the full million necessarily. It would be on what's the value of the historic facade. So it might be more like a full million dollar deduction because you're giving it up for a period of time, which might be, maybe it's worth 250,000 because the historical facade. Wow. And so great. I never so heard that. just cover the expense of the building basically. Right. Hey, Jared, I got a quick question for you. Going back to um, the new tax laws and how it got screwed on that, you, you had intimated about um, reclassifying some of your income. Yeah. Can we go back to that for a second? Are you, um, are you aware of, because initially when that tax law came through, a lot of the CPAs, the dental CPAs that I talked to say, oh, well, that's why people are rushing to do DSOs right now. But yeah. From what I understood, though, that wouldn't pass the sniff test because to make a shell corporation for the sole purpose of evading a tax law would probably not hold up the audit. So let, me, let me show you the things that you could do for sure. And 
the, we're just going to spend our time today on the reclassification of income because it's big tax money. The, the two main factors, and there is more, but the two main ones are, how can you take your active income and classify it as passive income? But the bigger one is, how do you take ordinary income and classify it as capital gains income? That's the bigger deduction. So let's talk about active to passive and then how you can even get this pass-through deduction. Um, so inside of your dental practices, you have created unique processes and intellectual property. So where do you have intellectual property where you've you could train other dentists, even if it's your associates or even other people in the profession? So think about um, instead of being a B2C type of business where you're, you're serving the patient, how do you serve the profession? And you set up a separate company and make it an intellectual property company. So I have an intellectual property company called Ripwater. Ripwater is the licensee behind this book with all the content in it. I just did a deal with Rich Dad Poor Dad where I licensed my content. I've done stuff with uh, Garda Financial, Vault AIS. I go through a bunch of companies and then I've already created a precedent with my other intellectual property that I get paid at least 15%. So even when I speak on stage, I've had my intellectual property company 15% of anything I do from speaking or consulting because I'm using my intellectual property. So I'm now filtering a lot of money in this intellectual property company that I started back in 2012. And all that money comes in as a royalty or at least as a 1099, so it's not getting hit with self-employment tax. Even though I max that out, it's still not getting hit with Medicare or Medicaid, which is 3.2% savings. Not a huge savings, but it's savings. But here's the other thing. It's now intellectual property. I can take, I can take where in consulting I can't, I can in that, take the pass-through deduction. It qualifies as an intellectual property company. It passes that sniff test. So that's one way that dentists and you guys in particular can start to take advantage of some of that, that pass-through, but you also get a passive income nature. Now, even where, where I'm really pissed about the new tax law is before when I developed the strategy, it was going to become a capital gain asset. Now under the new tax laws, it looks like intellectual property, they're going to count as ordinary income, which pisses me off. So now I have to even refine it further, you know, but that's just another thing that I did last year to reclassify my income is I don't know how familiar you guys are with captive insurance agencies, but if you do it, I wanted to talk to you about this one, by the way. Yeah. yeah if you do a big idea. study and you do it right, you've got to do it right. But if you do it right, you can put money in pre-tax. You have to keep it in there for a year, but you could, insure reputation management, employee turnover, embezzlement. It's your own insurance company. It's your own cash that goes in it, goes in pre-tax. But when you take it out, it becomes a capital gain. So you go from ordinary income to capital gain. That's probably going to cut most of your taxes in half. And you now are getting to put money away pre-tax to insure your business. Right now, if you're insuring your business, it's with post-tax dollars. And dentists face a ton of risk, whether it's insurance changes, whether it's Lawsuits because people think you're, oh, you're a doctor, you must have money. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, ask for whatever because I'm an entitled little bastard like the rest of the population's become that sues, unfortunately, far too often. So, anyway. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you. That's funny you mentioned the captive um, because a buddy of mine, he owns uh, several trucking dealerships and uh, his personal um, personnel uh, healthcare costs were getting so exorbitant as they are for all of us. And he just created a captive and I spoke to, um, for his own uh, personal um, uh, medical insurance, I spoke to somebody about it and they said, you need to get bigger. But if you have the 
influence to maybe involve more people in dentistry on a national level, I could entertain something that would be very uh, applicable for your profession. So that's cool that you're bringing that so up. So is there a critical mass to the captive insurance? Yes, there is. Well, for, for health insurance, there is at least. Oh, okay. Because imagine well, you Gary, that's not health. what you're talking. You're talking about yeah. actually. I'm just insuring like actual risks of the business. Like, and, and to me, if you can't sock away 300 grand, it's not worth doing because it is a, a pain to set up and it has expenses to the front end of it. So it's not worth it. And you got to make sure you do, do it right because some people skip the steps to do it cheap. And then if you're ever audited, it's only going to hold up if you have a true feasibility study and you've funded it properly and you're running it with CPAs and attorneys running it like an insurance company and you're not just pulling money out whenever you want. It's like, you know, you're pulling it out because it either had no claim or you filed a claim against it. And what's cool is actually 2% of the money I put in it goes to reinsurance. So if I ever had a claim bigger than the money in there, I actually have insurance companies backing my insurance company, which every insurance company in America has it done that way. So Geico actually started as a captive insurance agency before it became what it is today. So they obviously expanded their vision from insuring, you know, uh, some government uh, plans to becoming, you know, public and helping a lot more people out. But I, I just like the thought of reclassifying income. I mean, that's, that's the, the cool strategy. Now, you guys, you know, I don't know where Craig lives, but Peter, you live in Atlanta, man. If you're willing to go live in Puerto Rico for four months of the year, um, I am. I am. And, and then be out of the U.S. for six total months, we got you at a 4% tax rate, bro. Act 20 and Act 22, you can get down to 4% tax. 4%. Federal? Like everything? That's your total tax rate, man, because you're, you're now considered – that your primary residence is in Puerto Rico, you qualify for Act 20 and 22, which came out because Bill Clinton actually repealed the plan they used to have for corporations at 4% based upon what Puerto Rico wanted, and they got annihilated, where every citizen that was young started coming to the US, going to school in the US because of reciprocal agreements. And so what they did was they said, we gotta do something, and they've been attracting people setting up shop. It used to be you have to hire five Puerto Rican employees. It used to be that you had to own a home within 18 months. They're starting to make that even more easy where you just have to be there for at least four months. Um, you have to be out of the United States for six total months. And so for me, I'm like, cool, I'll live in Utah in the mountains for six months, Italy in the countryside for two months, and then Puerto Rico for four months. And then that damn hurricane ruined everything for my say. wife where she's like, I don't want to go. So now I'm having to resell her on the whole thing. But I'm like, imagine, she's like, what do we do for our family? I'm like, first class tickets anytime they want because we're saving so much money in tax. I've got clients that are down there now. Um, I have clients looking into it again. So um, it's funny you mentioned that actually I just, and, and I'm getting, you know, this is probably getting off of dental podcast kind of stuff, but you know, Craig knows that I'm big into cryptocurrencies and that tied in the blockchain technology. And they're actually trying to set up what they're called a, a cryptopia down there, right? Yeah, because of, because of the, the, the advantages. And so that's a big haven for a lot of, I actually know a lot of personal guys of friends of mine who are doing the same, like you're saying, they have a lot of stuff to protect and they're kind of looking at property there. That's interesting. Yep. So, so I mean, Craig lives down in Florida, by the way, down in Delray. So he's even closer. He's way closer to, to there than you or I, buddy. And my wife is Puerto Rican. So you can come stay at my house and get a good taste of what it would be like over there. And dude, I mean, there's more bad things happen in Florida than the rest of the world combined. So you're totally cool in Puerto Rico. 
Yeah, I got my gun right below the camera here. It's like literally right there. Assault, you know, assault rifles, grenades, everything. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you need. I don't know if you need that as much as you just need. Like, I imagine that half of it's just old people that don't know where they're going and how they're driving that that's causing the problems, and then the other half are just people that live in the swamps that uh, that just have you know like no uh, no conception of reality because. I don't know if half the stories are real or fake. I don't know. Half the time I read about Florida, I feel like I'm reading The Onion, and then I find out it's really like coming in USA Today. So really, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not hearing that stuff. I, I don't. I don't well, know. You live. You live in Delray, which is probably a little bit different. Yeah, you know, a little different. Like, it's like Atlanta yeah. versus like you know, and you know, I don't know. Alcohol. You're gonna be careful what you say there, right? Like you're like, yeah. what do I say that I don't? We'll get an email afterwards. Why did you rag on 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 uh, Augusta? That's ridiculous. <laughs> I love Augusta. So anyway, yeah, we're, we're a little off topic. That's what happens when we're talking about all this stuff. But I mean, there's so much tax advantage that people don't know about. Speaking of Augusta, I don't know if, people, if you guys know about the Augusta rule when it comes to taxes. This is a major tax deduction. All right. Yeah. Thanks to uh, this little event that happens in Augusta every year, there was a senator that had a home there. He wanted to rent it out, but he didn't want to pay taxes on the rental income. So hence the Augusta rule. You can rent out your home. Let's say you're having a patient function, employee function, vendor function at your home. You can rent it to your business and your business gets to take a tax deduction. But as long as it's 14 days or less, you don't have to claim that as personal income. So like think about doing 14 events at your house a year. And, uh, you know, like I've, I like to do it at times where there's peak things going on here in, in Utah where I could charge more because maybe Sundance is happening or maybe uh, Mormon conference is happening or the outdoor recreation show used to be here. We lost it. Damn it. But I used to, you know, I could charge like 7,500 bucks on those types of days. And then that's a write-off or you so know, literally if you rented your house, just to use round numbers, $10,000, 14 times 140,000 that comes off your adjusted gross income, 140 yeah. grand. And yeah, you just got to make sure that you can justify that rent, that rent, you know, like, no, I'm just saying yeah, yeah, that what it would have cost to get a conference, uh, you know, conference room at that time at a hotel or an Airbnb for a similar type of property. So there's, you know, there's times where I'd probably only charge 2500 on, on like a, a regular Thursday night with nothing going on. But on a weekend with something going on, I'm going to jack the price up to 7500 bucks. So in my particular circumstance, we do like these quarterly doctor's dinners where I take all my doctors to like a fancy restaurant. We rent out like a room, that type of thing. Just literally having that at my house, same thing, catered and all that. That would be applicable. Yep. Right off. That's cool. That is cool. So yeah, if you want to mention any other uh, cities, I'll let you know if there's tax advantages that come along. <laughs> Time. It's our most important asset. And I want to... Thank you for using your time to listen to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Also want to encourage you to do two things right now. Take out your phone, text the word Bulletproof to the number 345345. What that's going to do is put you on our, uh, for lack of better words, a mailing list that's going to send out uh, text messaging and email just whenever we have announcements, whether it's the Bulletproof Summit that's coming up in October, uh, a book launch. Um, we're just giving access to some, some private stuff that's inside the Bulletproof community. So I encourage you to just uh, take two seconds and whip that out and uh, text it to us. Again, text the word Bulletproof to 345-345. Secondly, please, if you're, if you're loving the podcast, go ahead and um, click on 
your phone again and and click on the review and review us in in iTunes. We really appreciate it just so we get some feedback. And again, if it's if it's a five star, awesome, bring it. But if it's one, like put that down and let us know how we do better. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Well, you know what? I got a, I got a question because a lot of us dentists that are listening here, and Peter and I in particular, we have holding companies that uh, hold our buildings in. And now just thinking about, um, you know, unfortunately in Florida, I just got uh, a, a really nice uh, friendly love letter from the Florida Department of uh, Revenue, and they want me to pay rent, back rent and penalties and interest. They want me to pay sales tax on the rent I had to write myself. So I have a large building, it's 13,000 square feet, so you can imagine what the rent looks like. But I owed my 6.5% sales tax on all the rent checks I've been writing. So that was fun. That was a big hit. But um, talk, to, talk to us about that income that comes through in the building because that's not a service company. So that would be those, those LLCs and S-Corps that hold our buildings. Those are now subject to 20% tax, correct? Yeah. The thing is, we don't have time to get into it on, on this podcast. There's a lesser of, there's an equation for that 20% pass through. And it's, and it's, you have to like go through it. It takes about... I don't know, last time I had my tax attorney show me, it took 30 freaking minutes to go through and they're all a little bit confused. So the answer is yes, just, you know, it may not be a straight 20%. It may not be as awesome as we thought, but it is valuable. And you are right. That's a, that's a reclassification of income example. So for reclassification of income, I'm sure a lot of the doctors know, set up an S corp or choose an S selection in your LLC pay yourself what you'd pay a associate and then take the rest in distributions. Distributions will get hit with self-employment tax. That's a reclassification moving from active to passive. We talked about the, you know, everything from the captive to the intellectual property company, which would, once again, that would happen or even charging yourself a really high rent, right? Because you charge yourself the highest rent. That's better than taking it as a W-2 um, other than, your wonderful sales tax that you got hit with, you know, and every state's a little bit different, but even reclassification. I mean, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to be a multi-practice doctor or you're getting paid to go speak on techniques or strategies and, and you're, you're have clients outside of your state, like Florida's great, you're 0% state tax, but there's people probably in New York or California that if you're now getting hit with a state tax with, income that's coming from outside of your state. There's something called a grant or defective income trust. Um, in Wyoming, it's known as a wing in Nevada. It's known as a ning where you can avoid state tax on parts of your income. So like it's just being in the know, because if you don't know these things, you're giving the government more than you need to. If your accountant's telling you how conservative they are, they're just telling you, Hey, I'm making sure you pay more in tax. And when you find out, um, you can't be mad at me because I'm telling you I'm conservative. There's no reason to be, um, overpaying when it's legal and ethical not to overpay. Now, it might be intelligent not to move something offshore because offshore might make you a target and you might still have to pay taxes if they go after you, but taking advantage of everything we're talking about here would pass any audit, you know? Like, it's just going to pass an audit. And right now, you, by the way, you can pay your kids in the new tax law. One of the benefits is you can pay your kids $12,000 instead of $6,300 tax-free. So... Unfortunately, you could probably only justify putting them on your website or on your walls for 2,500 bucks a year. Um, they have to do real like work to a certain degree to get that tax deduction. If you get audited and you're like, I pay my kids, what do they do? 
uh, you know, they mow the lawn. They're like twelve thousand dollars. That's a pretty expensive lawnmower. Well, it's proven kids have very small hands, so they can ex- access the posterior regions of uh, patients' mouths. You give them small mirrors and, and you know, feed them some sugar, they can really crank out some dentistry. I mean, the dentist has said their their accountant wouldn't let them hire their kids because of child labor laws, and I was like, yeah. I was mm-hmm. like. Doesn't I don't see how that applies to your kid. Why would the government say you can pay your kids twelve thousand? Oh, but it has to meet child labor laws, so this is really a non-benefit. So I, I don't, you know. You know what's actually funny is um, we we track referral codes like like Peter does. So um, patients who send a lot of patients, they set off flags with a certain amount of money. We have we have a system in our in our dentrix to to pull that number out. But um, my daughter routinely is one of the highest refers to the practice. She's eight. And she goes to school and she, I guess she's talking to the teachers and the teachers are all signing up for Invisalign and like, who sent you? You're like, well, actually your daughter Sage did. Perfect. So I think Sage is responsible for like 80 grand last year of referrals. But what I love what you're saying about Garrett is that everybody, the talk and the, the covers of Wall Street Journal and, and, and Forbes magazine and all these magazines are, you know, what stock to pick or what asset to put your, your um, or, or what vehicle to put your assets into. And really it, it's, when you think about saving 10, 15% of your income, you can't get that re- reliably in the market. You know, everybody's happy with five and 6% returns there, but no one's talking about this stuff. So I'm really happy we're, we're bringing this stuff up because it's really the, a lot more um, advantageous to keep more of what you, you make. So that's cool. Yeah. We gave some real practical tax ideas too, hopefully. So let's talk about your company because I know nothing about what you do. Obviously, I'm scribbling notes down. Um, what What is it that you guys do? Like how would a dentist like myself get involved with you and what services do you provide? We provide for dentists uh, what really highly affluent people would normally have access to, but the dentist wouldn't, which is a family office. So the Rockefellers designed a family office where they had just one family, like one financial firm working for their office that had accountants, attorneys, investment advisors, cash flow people, risk managers. So when I saw that when I was 22 years old, I'm like, oh, well, I think entrepreneurs should have access to that. And I didn't realize it was hard as hell to build. So it took me about a decade, but we've got all those people, you know, all those people, accountants and attorneys and investment advisors. But our job is to be the financial quarterback, get people a second opinion on everything they're doing fix anything that's broken and help put more money in their pocket and show them how to achieve economic independence. So we're not a commission-based or fees for assets under management-based. We're a tuition-based backed by results and implementation. We get paid by people writing us a check and helping them navigate their entire financial picture and help them do a lot of the heavy lifting so it's easier and then they get done in a year to three years, what it takes most people 30 years to get done. Okay, so just I have a couple of questions. So you would work with my or the dentist existing accountant or you take over the accounting services as well? 50-50, um, depends. If they're doing a good job and make tweaks, we tell them to make tweaks. If they're doing a horrendous job, we have you replace them. You're in control of that. But um, we do a three-year review, the last three years taxes and the current year tax strategy in our program for everyone. And I've had doctors be like, oh, I got the best accountant in the world. I'm like, cool, just let us do a review. Like, no reason to. I'm like, okay, just let us do the review. And then we find like $120,000 in going back the last three years, find out they're not paying themselves correctly. They're not taking advantage of Augusta rule. They're overpaying because of how they're paying for their buildings or not cost segregating. And it's another $20,000 a year moving forward. 93% of the time we save someone tax that we work with. 
And the, the cool thing, like you said, I just want to make sure I understood you correctly. So let's just say I brought you on for my own personal um, uh, consulting for my tax stuff. You said there's a three-year, like, yeah, I'm, allowed, I'm allowed yeah. to go back three years so you could literally go back in 2015 or 16 and say, we think he paid a hundred grand more in tax and we want to fight this and I could get some of that money back as a credit. Is that possible? Absolutely. You're not going to be able to be like, Oh, I should have paid my kids. I didn't pay my kids. Sorry. No. Nothing you can do about that. But there's a lot of tax, like the R and D credits and the D pad credits that we talked about to start this. We can go back and get those. That would be a good example. Um, I had two business partners die in a plane crash in 06. And I didn't meet proactively with my accounting team, didn't get them the data. So I overpaid my taxes in 06. But in 08, when I had the different set of eyes look at it, we found I overpaid by 54,000. So I got that money back from the IRS. Every now and again, people say, well, does that increase my chance of audit? I'm like, well, if the IRS is writing you a check because you're giving them the documentation of why you overpaid, like I, we've seen no increased audit rates from that. Mm -hmm. so I think that people have just been scared by their accounting professionals of you don't want to get audited. Look, you don't want to invite an audit. And yes, doing a captive insurance agency doubles your chance of audit. So that's why it's you have to do it intelligently if you're going to do it. And there are people that abuse it. They invest in places that aren't approved with insurance companies. They, they use it as a personal bank. And so, yeah, you're going to get in trouble for those kind of things. Um, but I actually have a methodology if someone gets audited we play a game, what are the chances we save them tax? I've been doing this since 98, we've only had someone owe extra twice. One was totally my mistake because I just didn't have them pay their state tax on liquidating a stock. So that was just a dumb mistake. And then the other one was, I don't even know if it was our fault, it was a chiropractor who, I, it might've been their accounting team, they were in the middle of transitioning, so we paid the $5,500 that they ended up losing in an audit. I, you know, it wasn't a big deal, otherwise, well, I would say a third of the time, maybe some years as much as half the time, we get them more money back during an audit. Well-organized, documented, hand everything to the auditor, treat the auditor really well, and then when that's over, start asking questions. Hey, did we write this off enough? Or could, what are the rules with this? And hey, we, he actually used it more on this and we didn't really take it because now they're signing off on it. Now we can be in the gray area because we have an auditor signing off on it. So I had a guy that once, four and a half years after working with us and saving six figures, got audited and he called me and goes, dude, I'm gonna get arrested. He was a doctor. I'm like, I'm not surprised, dude, you're a crazy son of a bitch. And it, actually the reality was he was just scared in the audit, he did something wrong. He didn't, everything was well documented. We saved him 5,500 bucks in the audit. We wrote off his vehicle more aggressively. We wrote off more of his home office where he got to write off half of his utilities and we weren't quite going that aggressive. So, cause he was a coach and you know, he, he was a practice management consultant and a, and a, and a chiropractor. Yeah, I am, I'm always uh, shocked when I tell people, like when Peter and I talk about taxes and stuff like that, I, I think I get the, I have the dubious honor. Uh, I haven't got the trophy yet, but I have the dubious honor of paying the most in tax for the amount of money I make. <laughs> it's yeah. incredible. Not the award that you want. No, no I, I know. I haven't got the trophy yet. Um, that check behind me is not from the IRS. Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm going to make a, you said something Garrett about, um, about, about that one client of yours who was reluctant to have his, his stuff looked at. And, and Craig and I were just recently, you know, we have some, um, some strategic partner, you know, kind of our, our business advocates that have a, a 
that run a 401k that's really designed for dentists. And it's really assist, you know, discovering or un, uh, help me out, Greg, basically Uncover, un, uncovering, uncovering, thank you, uncovering yeah. the, the egregious fees that have been charged to dentists in their 401ks. And they're really kind of, and, and what they were telling us a story about how like, you know, I really don't want you to send in my documents. Cause I really like John cause he's my 401k guy. And like, he brings me donuts and like, I, I like him and I know his family and, and we're just like, this is, this is the, the mentality sometimes is that we, we, you know, as dentists, I think we're so loyal to people and, you know, our sales reps and, you know, our insurance salesmen and our 401k. He's, patient. He's a patient. Yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't lose him. I can't lose his friendship and his patient. But in this meantime, you know, a lot of these people are losing millions of dollars in the long term in their 401k, which I know, you know, your first book talks about the yeah, yeah. disadvantages but of, you know, if you are going to do it why like don't why, pay don't I, pay men, don't pay yeah. as much pay as little fees as possible to the to the I, uh, I'm administrator. A fan of the robo advisors when it comes to 401ks like don't like what do you need a, what do you need a 401k administrator for what well, is he doing for you well there's a couple things number one you have as the plan sponsor and owner you have the fiduciary rule so yeah. you have liability but the real factor is, is most of us dentists are getting completely hosed. Like we're like getting it through like the, insur- the insurance companies or the, the payroll administration companies and the fee disclosure documents are like 40 or 50 pages long. There's no like truth and lending disclosure. So it's crazy. I, I think, I think it's a scary time to offer a 401k. Guess what? We don't offer a 401k at my firm. Just why is that? Uh, 401k suck. I mean, here, here's, I'll give you the perfect example of why 401ks are a horrendous idea. And how I look, you need to call me Craig on the day that I'm dead right on this because I'm going to give you the very extreme version here. But first of all, imagine that I call you and I'm like, hey, bro, let's get in a partnership. You should know I'm $20 trillion in debt, but let's be in a partnership. You put your money in and uh, I won't charge you what I said I was going to charge you. So you're going to feel like you're saving 37 cents on every dollar. The bottom line is though, you didn't save the money, dude. The money is stuck inside of a plan. You didn't you didn't pay less tax and that tax ended up in your pocket. That tax ended stuck inside of a plan that is owned by the government, controlled by the government, and you're the beneficiary of it. They're telling you if you want out early, 10%, more than what you actually thought you saved off the top if you get out early. If you wait all the way till 59 and a half, the government gets to say based upon their economic circumstance what their percentage take is at that point. So do you think that the taxes when you're 59 and a half are gonna be lower than they are today? Do you plan on making less money at that time than you make today? So because taxes are likely to go up and even this amazing tax plan that Trump passed, amazing I put in quotations and it's laughable because now you can only write off half of what you could write off before on mortgage interest. You can't give employee fringe benefits like you used to and write them off. They're not gonna disallow those. They, um, they were supposed to take it down to three tax brackets and now it's still six instead of seven. A lot of them kick in earlier than they did before. They, uh, they, this whole pass through didn't get to be what it was supposed to be. I mean, I could go on and on about the horrendous things that are involved in this. And the bottom line is we're $20 trillion in debt. They're probably going to be the next administration come in, raise the taxes again. What happens if they're back what they used to be? They used to be, if we average it out since 1913, the top bracket's 61.7%. If you don't Holy your taxes, shit. you're going to be pissed if you could have just paid 37 cents today. Then later on, you find out you're paying 61 cents. And even worse, what about, like, do you really trust the government isn't going to have a sundry tax on this again? If you had more than a million in your plans back in the 90s, there's a sundry tax of an extra 10% 
if you pulled out more than a certain amount of money. How stupid is that? That's like Cyprus when they said, oh, if you have more than 100 grand in your bank account, we're just going to take it because we're broke as the government. You, I mean, the government is going to invade and pillage, and dare I use the word, they're going to rape these plans. People are screwed, dude. These plans are horrendous. They are Garrett, terrible. Garrett, just do me a favor. Tell me how you really feel because I'm not really getting a short <laughs> sense of where you're at emotionally on this. I kind okay. of feel that... You think they're okay, though, right? I mean, but generally, other outside than that, those... Other than that, they're beautiful. Right, though. right. That's what I and thought. Okay, so I'll give the solution, because I've never really given a lot of solution to Peter. I just leave him in pain all the time on these things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> much, man. You know. You're playing too much freaking pain. So there's two ideas here. Number one, everyone should look into charitable remainder trust, because if you ever sell a highly appreciated capital gain asset, like a business, a building, or piece of real estate, or a stock, you can actually create tax deductions while avoiding tax when you sell those assets. It's a really cool strategy on, on Say selling it again. Something. Charitable what? Charitable remainder trust. Um, yeah, just okay. charitable trust. Right. Okay. So I write about it and what would the Rockefellers do? I can give out that book for, uh, on, you know, for a free download if they want to read more about it. I know we're running out of time. That's why I'm not going into too much detail, but that could help you offset the tax to get money out of your 401k and make it better. Okay. Even better than that though, I would look at converting these things to a Roth because you have a one-time conversion where you can move your 401k to a Roth 401k or your RNA, IRA to a Roth IRA. But here's the deal. I'm going to teach, this is so cool because this is going to cut the tax in half. So, because you have to pay tax when you convert it. But if you use something called a structured annuity as one example, it's a rescue strategy where you know how lottery winners spend more than they make in the lottery and then they there's these entire financial firms that come in and say we'll buy out your annuity for pennies on the dollar but give you a lump sum of money and they take it and now the now that that investment company gets all the stream of income forevermore or for however long that annuity was because these lotteries aren't usually paid up front right so you can get something like that there's multiple versions of it but you could get a structured annuity where it's valued at half of what your actual 401k is for government tax purposes, convert it to that Roth. So you're only paying tax on half the value, but the structured annuity is actually worth a lot more than that because of the future income stream that comes from it that is now guaranteed. And you can now turn that into cash flow rather than accumulation. And you can move it to a Roth and pay half the tax you're going to pay otherwise in a day where taxes are a little bit lower than they're probably going to be in the future. So, you know, I'm basically just given so much stuff here that people are just going to have to freaking hire me if they want to do. As I say, my brain's a kind of. I'm pretty good at. I'm brain's kind of exploding right now. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, mine too. But doesn't a Roth just? I don't want to go down the rabbit hole with this. So I hope I don't anger you like the last 401k uh, question I had because I was. I'm happy you're in Utah. You were like, "Get." I'm happy I'm not in spitting zone because I I could see the passion coming out. It's like when Peter and I talk about dios on number 14, we get freaking crazy about that stuff. So anyway, uh, isn't a Roth IRA have a limitation as to how much you can put in? It's like you're only allowed if you like make a hundred grand or something like that. It's like yeah, you, can, you can start a Roth and fund a Roth. You could do a Roth conversion one time. Ah. So meaning once you have built a significant amount of equity in your 401k, you could do a Roth election. You could convert it and pay the tax, but by doing this evaluation where it would be half it would look like half the value up front. You'd pay half the tax on that conversion. And then the and then Roth it would be tax-free from there. 
and and the government you don't think can then at some point 20 years well, they for sure going to invade and, and and shit on the roth too but the good news is you can just pull your your cap your principal out tax-free at that point right oh wow so they're going to piss with the roth you watch that won't always be a tax-free thing because if you read the fine print it's tax deferred and under certain circumstances tax-free upon distribution like that's just an easy place for them to go fish for tax dollars and if you can go to the fish farm to get tax dollars versus a dry well or the swamp for you Florida folk, you know, <laughs> then why not go to the fish farm? Just the lowest hanging fruit for sure. And they already have access to it. Yeah, I, I hear you. All right. So let me, uh, let's, let's wrap with this, Garrett, because I've actually was thinking about asking you this several times. But so you have obviously, a, you have a lot of experience in the field. You have, you're, you're super intelligent. You've seen a lot of good scenarios with people, a lot of bad scenarios. We have a lot of younger, um, you know, dentists who listen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if my question is going to be, what would you, you know, looking back, what, what, what are the biggest mistakes that you see made of, of people that are maybe, you know, have been out 20 years and, and, and we could help prevent it for some of the, the younger generation Yeah. or, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah. I mean, what do you, yeah, help, help us, uh, course correct, if you will. Um, the first thing is they don't build enough liquidity. So if you build up enough cash reserves, you have staying power for economic changes, employee turnover, unexpected surprises in your business because of maybe a reputation management thing that you have to deal with or a a health issue you might have personally. People overemphasize investing and underemphasize saving. So automatically save instead of automatically invest. Automatic investing is the stupidest idea. Automatically putting money in a 401k when you don't know what the market's gonna do like that's being like, Peter, let's just automatically buy Facebook ads. It doesn't matter how they convert. Let's just keep putting money in every month without adjusting. That's as stupid as a 401k is. So automatically save, then deliberately invest and build plenty of liquidity because you're going to have major opportunities in the next 20 years that most dentists just watch past them by because the banks wouldn't finance it quick enough and the person with cash bought that practice. The but you don't, but you, you, you just mentioned how you don't let the 20, the fiat currency that's $20 trillion in debt that's backed by that currency. And now you're saying go liquid in something that, that isn't, uh, you know, yeah. you don't have much faith in anyway. Well, I have liquidity in four places. Okay. Uh, my, my wallet that's got cryptocurrency in it, my safe that's got uh, I I like gold and silver, and my cash value policies that are earning 5%, and cash in a safe and cash in a bank. So really five places. Okay. And what type of, cur- how much money do you have in your bunker? Uh, with the uh, rations that, uh, you just know. Thir- I only have, I, you know, and, and I say this, I'm just gonna, I once had a doctor say, are you ever worried you're gonna get sh- shot in the back of the head? And I'm like, this just for the first time just now, actually. Yeah, <laughs> when he said that. No, I wasn't until just now. I, now I am, uh, but no, I just have 30,000 or 40,000 cash in, in actual cash that's sitting in a safe. I've got, a substantial amount in cash value that's protected from liability and bankruptcy. And I can bring liquid within 72 hours to buy whatever I want with it. And, um, you know, I don't have a ton of Bitcoin. Um, I have, I have a couple shares in a, in a mine with my, my co-author's got so much freaking Bitcoin, dude. He's been, he's been mining, uh, crypto since like 2012. Yeah. Like, and he, he swore it off twice cause it got all stolen from him at one time and all oh this, but, God. uh, yeah, but he's, he's crushing it and he just, 
every time he gets 100% gain, he cashes out half, and then and then he takes, and as soon as that half gets a 20% gain, he cashes out another half, and then he just continues to mine it because he thinks that's where the money is. He's like everybody else is speculating in his mind, so he he knows a boatload about it. And uh, the first time I tried to buy Bitcoin, my my controller disagreed. And so she didn't send the 25,000 that would now be worth seven figures. And I still lose a little sleep over that every now and again. Wow. So when you say like, you know, that, that liquidable asset I, and, or you say dentists just go run to invest, you know, Pete and I were talking the other day and Pete's like, we were, we were just saying how bi- our buildings are forced savings accounts because yeah. it's uh, you, you've committed, you got to pay that mortgage. How, how, what do you think of that logic? Um, as long as they're capable of handling the payment. And if they have enough liquidity, they probably can handle the payment. And then I think the other thing is, don't be a cheapskate when you hire. Hire badass people and spend a lot of time recruiting and learning how to hire. If you learn how to hire, build liquidity, and then own a building, you're going to be ahead of 99% of dentists. I mean, yeah. dude, as a patient, I don't really know whether a dentist is good or not. I mean, when it comes down to it, you know? I mean, I think that dentists get really hyped up on technology, on machinery, and on technique. And the reality is, I mean, Peter probably, like when he was more active chair side, there's probably just like a a boatload of girls that went just because Peter's handsome, you know? Like uh, when it comes down to it, if you have good bedside manner, like, you know, you have a a nice office that looks good. Like, I, I mean, I think that 90% 90% of the reason I would go to a dentist is because they have a nice office over whether I know they're a badass dentist or not, you know? Or if they could communicate to you in layman's terms, like problem solution, right? I think that's a, that's a problem that we have in our industry. We, we are engineers and technicians and very technical. And sometimes you have to remember that like, you know, so to, to your point, like, you know, it's not like, hey, let me see your last five crown preps before you can do this one on me, you know? When I show up to the dental office, looking like homeless Jesus because I got long hair and I'm wearing like whatever yoga clothes I've never done yoga in, you know, it doesn't mean I can't afford whatever treatment you want at any time. And I think a lot of dentists, it's hilarious when they're like, well, maybe eventually you want to do this. I'm like, well, shit, I'm here right now. Can we do it right now? Well, you know, it might be cheaper if you do it here. I'm like, well, maybe I don't care about cheap. Maybe I just care about efficiency. <laughs> and I feel like half the, the, the dentists that I, that I talk to, I'm like, God, dude, you just like, be bold with what your recommendations are. Just tell them the best thing to freaking do and tell them, do that. As a matter yeah. of fact, I'd rather see them do that and say, if you don't do this, I'm not going to be your dentist. Well, dude, you might lose some business, but you're losing way more being a pansy. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree with that, actually. Craig, anything else, buddy? But what you want to, you, you want to, uh, you wanna get yelled at, Craig? You, yeah, you, you want to talk about some more, some more, um, let's think of it. You want to talk about a defined benefit plan, the only dumber idea than a 401k? Because no, I got, I got a dumber idea than that. I got whole life insurance plans, is probably takes the number one problem. No, dude, I, I overfund the hell out of my whole life. That's where I like, I have a whole boatload of cash in whole life. Really? Poorly no, designed, sucks, but you know. But I like uh, I like the properly designed stuff with a whole with heavy cash in it. No, I mean that was that covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, I, I we think we ended on a high point, dude. I didn't even. Yeah, you didn't even rant on that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I feel uh, there's, there's some there's a relative celebration here. So, based back to your book, is it on? Is it an Amazon? Can we order it now, or is it? Yeah, you, you, know yeah, you go to fivedayweekend.com. I know that there's a that's one place. Uh, I'd go to wealthfactory.com forward slash podcast and, and grab my, my other books on me. And then we'll let you know, like we're actually 
We have a plan right now. I, I'm thinking about just sending 5,000 copies out to people that I've worked with in the past. I, like, I just, like to me, a book is just a catalyst to get people to think differently and I don't try to make money on them. I try to make a difference with them. So I, a lot of times I just buy the books and send them to people. So get on wealthfactory.com forward slash podcast, get some of our resources and we might send it to you. I mean, hell, feel free to go buy it. It's probably 20 bucks. I don't think it's, it costs us a lot more to build. So it, it's cheap. It's a bargain. Yeah. But, uh, as we've learned, like the, the process of publishing a book is by no means a moneymaker, you know, <laughs> no. it, it's, uh, it's almost, it's almost altruistic in its nature, you know, but you spend massive, uh, it, honestly, Craig, if you, if someone had told you how much time it would take to get this book published, you'd been like, no, I'm good. We're just not going to do this. Like, yeah, it's true. Hindsight. So Garrett and, and it's, you know, Garrett, you're uh, you're, you're obviously a multi-time author. So you, you, you definitely have the pain of that. Um, well, buddy, enjoy your summer. When do you leave? When do you leave for your summer trip? May, May 30th, start in Paris. Got a villa in Croatia after that. Make I, sure you go to Montenegro a little bit. All right. Montenegro. It's right, you know, it's, right near, it's right near Croatia. I mean, right near, uh, you said you were going to Dubrovnik? Uh, we fly into Split. Oh, nice. And like Split, Havar, in that area? And then, uh, yeah, we got like a, we got a villa that, that matches the gangsterhood of your house, dude. So like we can- Really? I'll be taking pictures being like, look at this, dude. Look at this. Shop Gotti style, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'll be expecting those pictures come June when I'm hot and angry in Atlanta. And, and uh, yeah, hot and angry. I'll be on the Adriatic Sea saying, I've never seen colors like this. And this you'll be like- beautiful. I love my life. It has, I have a five-day five day weekend all the time. I'll just be sitting there with this open by the poolside. <laughs> <laughs> not just, reading it because I wrote it. <laughs> you can just t send me pictures on repeat and just taunt me all summer long. Be like, God, don't you want, don't you want to be my, have my life? <laughs> well, buddy, good to see you as always, man. And, um, and uh, Craig and Garrett, I'm glad to connect you guys. And that was fun. fun and uh, yeah, buddy, we'll, we'll talk to you later. And I can't wait to get my book in the mail. All right, man. I will get, I'll get that out to you. See you, pal. If you get more than one, pass it on to Craig. I will. Yeah, Definitely. please do. Please Craig, do. email me your address and uh, and I'll get it to you. But truly, oh, we will put a lot of this in the show notes because I do want people to have access to some of see your books. And so we will put um, – I'll, I'll have uh, Kim get with you and get all the right links so we can get get our audience hooked up with you if they want. All right. Thanks, Thanks pal. Good see stuff, man. man. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast source. Check out BulletproofDentalPractice.com for video interviews and text BULLETPROOF to 345-345 to stay connected to us for special announcements. Have a great day.